This is Radio Energy News. Good afternoon, you're listening to Radio Energy. My name is Jessica Bowen, here with your daily update. Our top stories today. Scotland's not proven verdict to be scrapped as a part of a major justice system reform. The general perception among the public is often that a not proven verdict suggests a sheriff or jury believes the accused is guilty, but does not have sufficient evidence to convict. This is argued to be confusing for both the jury and the public. Critics of the verdict also say it can be stigmatising for an accused person by appearing not to clear them and that it can fail to provide closure for victims. The Law Society of Scotland has warned there could be an increase in miscarriages of justice if not proven is scrapped. Under a new bill proposed last September by former First Minister Nicola Sturgeon, the three-verdict model is set to be abandoned in all criminal trials in an effort to create a clearer, fairer and more transparent decision-making process. It is hoped the reforms can boost the country's low conviction rates for serious sexual offences. Just 78 of more than 2,100 rapes and attempted rapes that went to Scotland's courts in the 2020-2021 period resulted in convictions. Justice Minister Angela Constance said the bill put victims and witnesses at the heart of the justice system branding the reform as the most significant since devolution. She also said the bill is testament to the efforts of many campaigners who have worked to ensure that the process of justice better serves victims, witnesses and vulnerable parties. These are not new calls, however, as Ross Green, a Conservative member of the Scottish Parliament, said in the Chamber last year, We also know that 30% of acquittals in rape trials were down to not proven verdicts, compared to just 17% for all crimes and offences. There clearly is an imbalance here which must be addressed. That is my view, and that is also the view of the victims of crimes themselves, many of whom are left utterly confused, perplexed, bewildered and even angry after a not proven verdict. Christian Kane from McTaggart Solicitors said that the not proven verdict has been an excellent third party option that is unique to our justice system. He has said he does not think the abolishment will bring closure to the families because if they fully understood the the not proven verdict in the first place, they would not be upset. Next. Food bank use in the UK has hit record highs following the release of the Trussell's Trust's annual figures today. The report shows record highs for food parcels handed out across the UK, with a 37% increase from last year. Also shown in the report is that the number of people using food banks for the first time has risen by 38%. These figures show that the food bank use has doubled over the last five years in the UK with the number of children provided for also doubling in that five-year period. In Scotland, there has also been record-setting use of food banks, with a 30% increase from last year. This sharp increase follows a decline of food bank use in Scotland over the past three years. In response to the cost-of-living crisis, 
food banks across the UK are having to change opening hours to ensure people can access support outside of working hours. The charities have also said they need more volunteers due to the rapid increase in demand. The Trussell Trust have called upon the government to ensure that the standard allowance of universal credit is enough to cover essential costs. Chief Executive Emma Reeve has blamed the increase on weak social security systems, saying the continued increase in parcel numbers over the, la- the last five years indicates that it is an ongoing low levels of income and a social security system that isn't fit for purpose that are forcing more people to need food banks rather than just the recent cost of living crisis or the COVID-19 pandemic. We spoke with Reverend Dr Derek Browning from the Morningside Parish Church about the issue. Charities can only do so much. Um, What you sometimes find is sometimes people who can least afford it are the ones who can be the most generous. And I would never want to see that third sector charity group providing the kind of support and help that they do. But they have to do this alongside with government. They can't take over to uh, fund what some people call the care gap, which applies to all sorts of different areas in in that sector of need. Um, It's not something that all charities can do. And also the other thing that that we find with the the food bank that that we support in the southeast of Edinburgh is that inevitably there's a sense of embarrassment amongst the people who feel that they have to use it. Um, They've let themselves down, they feel um, they shouldn't be in this kind of situation. Um, And so looking out for people, there's a very fine balance about wanting to offer help um, but needing to find the way in which that help can be accepted appropriately by people who are wrongly but almost inevitably feeling on our charitable giving. It feels like, although government won't admit this, um, that there is less of an impetus for them to do something. Government does do things. I'm not saying it doesn't do anything, but it doesn't do enough. And the more you become dependent upon the third sector and churches and charities providing for these needs, the less of an impetus Um, there is, I think, for government to go ahead and do something significant. Now, I know there are lots of calls on government's finances, but but to provide basic food and drink for for people within the country is, to me, one of the fundamentals. And we shouldn't be having to rely um, on charity handouts, however well-intentioned those are, um, to plug what is a fundamental human right. Um, This has to do not just with um, the cost of living, which is is wicked uh, at the moment, uh, in terms of particularly heating and lighting and energy. Here's Dylan Levani with our local news. A local pub is set to reopen in Cramon today after being saved from full closure by the local community. The Cramond Inn, which has been serving in the area for over 300 years, was at risk of being closed after last orders were called by the business that owns the pub. The reopening was announced last week via Facebook. Chris, a manager at the inn, told us we ran the business back in 2014 and it's a crime not to have it open for the local community. Police have voiced concern for a missing woman within Edinburgh. 46-year-old Tracy Milne was last seen in the Cannon Mills area on Friday, April 21st. Officers from the Edinburgh Police Division released a statement saying Police are becoming increasingly concerned for Tracy's well-being and are asking Tracy to make contact through the 101 number 
reporting Incident 969 of the 24th of April, 2023. Detectives on the case have published a photo of Miss Milne online. In the meantime, anyone with information related to Milne's whereabouts are urged to phone 101. A man that saved two women in a Nidri house fire has opened up to Radio Energy about the experience. Dean Clark was passing through the area in the early morning when he spotted flames coming from a nearby house. The women, mother Margaret Knight, who suffers from mobility issues, and daughter Helen Knight were trapped in the blaze when Mr Clark arrived. Mr Clark said he didn't even think of the danger he was putting himself in and that the adrenaline took over and I went into autopilot mode when approaching the scene. He jumped over the fence and entered through the back door, leading Helen to safety before aiding Margaret by helping her stand and lean on him as they exited. He recalled the situation, stating, I had to react quickly. The smoke was getting thicker, and the flames were getting much hotter. After the emergency services arrived, Dean left Margaret and her daughter in the care of a neighbour. The funeral for former lightweight boxing world champion Ken Buchanan was held in St Giles Cathedral yesterday. The memorial service, which was attended by former boxing stars, such as Jim Watt, passed Mr Buchanan's boxing club and was met with large crowds. Mr Buchanan passed away earlier this month after his son revealed he had been living with dementia last year. The Edinburgh International Festival has announced plans to support a new generation of young talents within the realms of theatre. In collaboration with the Alvin Ailey Dance Theatre, the festival plans to give 22 dancers linked to Scotland and aged between 18 and 25 the opportunity to dance on stage in a festival performance. The company's head of learning and engagement, Caroline Donald, says the festival just wants to create a really well-looked-after first job in the industry for young people. Thank you, Dylan. Another top story today, the UK's first-ever driverless bus service is set to launch next month. The 14-mile route will go between Ferry Toll Park and Ride and Edinburgh Park, crossing the Forth Road Bridge and travelling up to 50 miles per hour in mixed traffic. The service has been successfully tested along the route, transporting a group of 22 passengers in February. It will run every 30 minutes, Monday to Friday, and there will be no driver operating the vehicle. On board, each bus will have a captain who will be there to help customers with any problems and a safety driver behind the the wheel monitoring the system to take control if necessary. We asked the people of Edinburgh's Brunsfield about their opinion on the driverless buses. I think that's a good idea, yeah. I think if it works, it'll be a good idea. I don't really know how effective they are. I don't know the background and whatever, but I think in concept, yeah. If it was a short trip, then yes, I would be comfortable, but... If it was a long trip, then I'd be a bit more, you know, sceptical about it, I suppose. Awesome. Uh, one of Tesla, which drives itself as well. So I think it's the next stage. It, it needs to happen. Well, usually you're upstairs and you can't see what's happening with the driver anyway. So I think as technology is very safe, as technology improves. I think if they've been tested and um, they seem efficient, then yes. What happens to the people that would be driving those buses? Though? Where do their jobs go? Now for the national news from Susanna Kane. Amazon could be forced to recognise a trade union in the UK for the first time. 
The GMB says almost 700 workers in its Coventry site are now members. That's more than half of the workers at the depot. The usual threshold for mandatory workplace recognition. Amazon hasn't commented, but the GMB says it will begin an arbitration process if the employer doesn't respond within 10 days. The price rises in the UK will stay persistent if people and businesses don't accept they are now poorer. That's the warning from the Bank of England's chief economist, but those who've responded to higher costs by asking for higher wages or are charging customers more money. Hugh Pill has told the Beyond Unprecedented podcast by that just makes inflation worse. That reluctance to accept that, yes, we're all worse off and we all have to take our share, to try and pass that cost onto one of our compatriots, that pass-the-parcel game that's going on here, that game is one that is just generating inflation. The Home Secretary says two or 300 British citizens have been evacuated from Sudan so far as a ceasefire enters its second day. The first flight arrived in Cyprus overnight. But Suella Braverman is denying suggestions the UK has been slower than any other Western nations at getting its people out of the country. We've got a larger cohort compared to many other countries. We have an extensive operation to support diplomats, but also British passport holders, British nationals, their dependents, and we've commenced our evacuation, and it's in process as we speak. Ed Sheeran appeared in court in New York accused of copying part of Marvin Gaye's track, Let's Get It On. The singer-songwriter denies using elements for his hit, Thinking Out Loud. His lawyers argue the two songs are distant and that no one owns basic musical building blocks. Harry Belafonte, the actor, civil rights activist, presenter and singer, has died at the age of 96. Born in Harlem in 1927 to mixed-race Jamaican expat parents, he started his entertainment career in the 1940s, billed as the Calypso King, popularising Calypso Caribbean music with songs such as the Banana Boat Song and laterally Jump in the Line. Belafonte, a man of many talents, branched out into acting and challenged the racial barriers that Hollywood faced at the time, starring in various roles, bringing a black voice to the silver screen, as well as regular TV appearances that brought new young talents to attention of US audiences, most notably a folk musician named Bob Dylan. Gaining a reputation as a heartthrob, brief relationships with actresses and co-stars like Joan Collins and Julia Robertson helped to break down interracial stereotypes in the West. He took time to tackle racial segregation in America in the 1960s, becoming heavily involved in the civil rights movement and walking alongside Dr Martin Luther King Jr, as well as supporting the cause financially and occasionally bailing Dr King out of jail on multiple occasions. The very first music I remember hearing was uh, Calypso by Harry Belafonte, the, the album. My dad used to play it in the car, picking me up from my mum's and um, 
because I'm a very music-centric person, it just means a lot to me that that was the first music I ever heard. Um, and even if I wasn't completely aware of his career outside of that, I still think he's a pretty important person to me and my tastes and my upbringing. He was instrumental in organising the single We Are The World as a part of the USA for Africa movement, which saw multiple acts perform for the benefit of famine relief in Africa. And when Spike Lee was searching for an older black man to play an aged civil rights activist scared by the racist past of American South, he looked to Belafonte, delivering a moving and chilling account in the pivotal scene of the film, culminating his acting career after six decades. Thank you, Susanna. Now to James for the latest sports news. The Cinch Premiership fixture split schedule has been revealed, and Sky has snubbed the Edinburgh Derby from featuring on the TV yet again. This is now the third Edinburgh Derby not to be shown on Sky Sports Television this season. Hearts' massive clash with Aberdeen, which could decide both sides' European fates, is also not being televised. Sky Sports are televising five Cinch Premiership fixtures, including an old firm Derby Ibrox and Celtic's trip to Tynecastle which could see the Parkhead side secure the league title, a second under Ange Postacoglu. We spoke to Natasha Meikle from the Celtic State of Mind podcast about the prospect. The prospect of winning the league at Tynecastle is so exciting. It feels like we've been on the brink of this one for so long, so to finally get it over the line will be a great occasion, a reward for the consistently high levels of performance over the season. The slight negative is that the scheduling decisions have made this an away game, so so many fans will be locked out. But it is good just to get this one wrapped up, and I'm sure we'll celebrate back at Celtic Park soon. Novak Djokovic has recently become the latest high-profile tennis player to withdraw from the Madrid Open. Rafael Nadal, Nick Kyrgios and Yannick Sinner are also missing out through injury. Nadal is also a serious doubt for the French Open, with a hip injury he sustained in January's Australian Open making him a doubt for a tournament he is so synonymous with. Andy Murray faces off against Adria Vavasori later today, whilst fellow Brick Kyle Edmund faces former US Open winner Dominic Thiem, both matches in the round of 128. Number one seed Carlos Alcaraz gets his bid to retain the Madrid title underway on Friday, with a win in Madrid last year, beating Nadal and Djokovic along the way, being his first Masters 1000 title. It's just been announced that former Scotland rugby captain Greg Laidlaw has announced his retirement from the sport at the age of 37. Currently applying his trade in Japan for Yuriyasu D-Rocks, he won 76 caps for Scotland, with 39 of those coming as captain, and he'll move into coaching after calling an end to an illustrious career. Hibs have seen their appeal of James Jekyll's controversial red card against St Johnson accepted, with the Australian midfielder now available for Saturday's clash with St Mirren, as well as a trip to Pataudry the following week to face Aberdeen, where a win could be vitally important in their bid for European football. Mark Selby came from 4-1 down to tie things up at 4-4 with four-time world champion John Higgins in the Snooker World Championships at the Crucible yesterday evening. The best of 25 quarter-final clash continues at 2.30 as the Scotsman pursues the fifth title of his career. Elsewhere, Ronnie O'Sullivan looks to expand upon his 10-4 lead over Luca Breckel in today's afternoon session. Spartans FC have called on fellow Edinburgh clubs Hibernian, Hearts and FC Edinburgh to back them as they prepare to take on Highland League champions Brecon City in the Pyramid Playoff semi-final on Saturday. Spartans clinched the playoff spot with 79 points, fighting off both Celtic and Rangers as B-teams for top position and have tweeted out in hope that Edinburgh's bigger side's fan bases will help cheer on the club in their battle for promotion to the Scottish Football League. 
We spoke to Hearts fan AFC Edinburgh media team member Aaron Fraser to find out if he thought the campaign would encourage larger crowds and even fill out Ainsley Park's 3500 capacity for the first leg clash. It's a good initiative, but leaving out civil service straws hasn't annoyed their fans enough, but given that FC Edinburgh are other rivals, it's caused a bit of unrest in their fan base as to why they're being encouraged to go to a game at a team that they can't stand. Now for some entertainment news. Freddie Mercury's friend is auctioning off some of his personal items. Freddie Mercury, the late, the late lead singer of the band Queen, will have 1,500 items auctioned by ex-partner and dear friend Mary Austin. Mercury died of an age-related illness in November of 1991 at the age of 45 and posthumously gave his London house and many of its contents, such as Tussaud paintings and costumes, to Mrs Austin. She's a killer. The late singer was known to like Victorian works of art and the last paintings he purchased was a portrait of Mrs Kathleen Newton in a field by James Jacques Tussaud, which sits at an estimated worth of 400000 to £600,000. Mercury also possessed a portrait of Picasso's wife, which has been estimated to be between 50000 to £70,000. Mercury also had a replica of St Edward's crown that he wore during performing, and it is roughly said to be between £60,000 to £80,000. The collection of what Freddie Mercury once had and cherished will be on display at Sotheby's in London in the summer. It's partly cloudy today across Edinburgh with highs of 7 degrees, mainly dry with a chance of some light showers. This is Radio Energy. Travel. Finally, some congestion on the Edinburgh City Bypass heading out of the city. All local roads remain mostly clear with traffic easing towards the A8. That's been today's daily update.